let me know when you're there. I'm not saying amen. Amen. And the scriptures they read as such. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, who is Matthew, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were, who were guests with him. But the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 15, 1 through 2, it reads, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. I like to add again, because this is the, I think it's the third time out of the four times. This man welcomed sinners and eats with them. This is my initial sermon. Seated, yet serving. Seated, yet serving. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you, Lord, for your abiding love, even when we didn't feel like being loved. You loved us anyway. The air we breathe is yours. The water we drink is yours. Everything that we have that we think that we own, we don't really own. You could call it away with your sovereign purposes, Father. Thank you for your love that's with us, Lord. I pray right now, God, that you would humble me, that you would work through me in a unique way. I'm your servant. Help me, Father, to say these words clearly and effectively for those that hear me. Tame my mind that I may be able to speak the way that you desire, in Jesus' name, amen. First question that I had to ask myself when I approached these scriptures, what did it mean to sit and eat in Jesus' time? I think most of us have been through school, correct, or some type of school, middle school, high school, elementary school. You have nine times out of ten sat with your friends, correct? Um, when you're at a, if you have a job and you have close friends and you guys are going to eat, you normally sit with them too, correct? Okay. Um, when you're at a business meeting um, and there's the boss, and the boss wants you to sit at their table, you go sit at their table, you want to sit with people that you can associate with, correct? So it wasn't really different in Jesus' time, but it carried a little bit more weight because in their time, you could actually make treaties over dinner. You could stop wars 
over a plate of food. So when Jesus is sitting down with people, they also bear, or at least this is what normally is what it, what it was taken as, you agreed with their lifestyle. You agreed with their attitudes. You agreed with the way that they perceive life. You are similar. I think we have a, a psychological term that says association creates assimilation, right? So this is the view of the way that being seated with somebody, even in the old days, is very similar to where we are right now, okay? So then we get the Pharisees, Pharisees come in, and they're like, this, this guy is sitting with sinners and tax collectors. Bear in mind, sinners were just like myriad of sinners that we have now, you know, prostitutes, um, murderers, uh, backbiters, it was all over the place. Some people had not just received the faith and they were lame and they were sick, they were leprous. Um, these is, this is the term whenever they use sinners is used to bring in the connotation that it's a broad spectrum of people who, who have not come to the understanding of who Christ is. Then you had a separation, which I found very interesting, the tax collector. So the tax collector is a special type of sinner. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I was like, I was like, dog, man. I was like, y'all hate tax collectors, don't you? So processing this, I had to do a little bit of history. I said, okay, well, what's wrong with the tax collector? Like, what is it that the Jew absolutely just, like, just found distasteful? The tax collector works for the Roman government. The Jews had already revolted. If you do history, um, they revolted a couple of times um, before we got to Jesus' time and set up the era that he's in. So the Jew is looking at a Jew that's telling them to pay them money to give to Rome. Um, so I, I, was, I said, Lord, who can I compare this to for my generation? Sally Mae. Right? I mean, think about it now. I mean, who in here got student loan, man? I mean, you'd be like, yo, man, just get just just lose my number. You know, I mean, fake identity. You gotta get away. I mean, but that's the that's the special type of center <laughs> of of our time to us. I mean, so that's like me finding a Sally May employee and saying, you know what, let's grub. Let's get some sushi. And somebody walking by, and they have a Sally Mae, you know, thing on their chest, and they're like, this dude work for Sally Mae? Look, bro, you, you a traitor. And these dudes taking money from us every day. And that's, <laughs> so, but, but that's the level of controversy. So, but in their culture and in their context, the Jews went a little bit further with how much they hated the tax collectors. I don't think we this bad, but they were adamant about their hate. They looked at the tax collector, and they regarded them socially as prostitutes. Just as filthy to them as a prostitute would be. So the Pharisees looked at them and said, you know what? You ain't sitting at my table. We will be ritually unclean just because we're sitting with you. Okay? So knowing this now, 
Why did Jesus sit with sinners and tax collectors after knowing the stigma that it brought? Because he came to seek and save the lost. Just as simple as that. Luke 19.10 says the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus' mission was to come for those who were sick, as we read in Luke 5.31. The world is sick, and Jesus has the cure. So if it was Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost, it must be our mission to do the same. Which brings me to my first point of three. We must stay on task. It's easy to stray away. It's real easy. It don't take much. It could take a piece of chicken. If we're trying to fast, I mean, yeah. It don't take a whole lot. <laughs> we'll find out why our Lord just lied. We were hungry. But here's the thing, though. It's easy to stray away from the call and mission that we have on heaven given by Jesus. We have a challenge in making a, sorry, we have a challenge. Uh, we have the challenge of making sure that we, as in Hebrews 10, 22 says, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith that will in turn cleanse our hearts from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Proverbs 28, 14 also says, blessed is the one who is always cautious, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into evil. So I'll search the scriptures. I was like, there has to be an example of this in here somewhere. The scripture does interpret scripture. That's the first step to any Bible study, is that you always look to the scriptures first. So 1 Kings 13. I'm going to do a T. Stevens paraphrase, if you don't mind. Um, you can mark it in your Bible where it is, 1 Kings 13. Um, King Jeroboam, King Rehoboam. The two kings of the new kingdoms. King Jeroboam was given ten of the tribes and left Rehoboam with pretty much Judah. The other one was, was assimilated in. Jeroboam had the biggest kingdom, but he still feared Jerusalem. He feared the worship of God that will pull the people from the ten back to Judah. So we have, uh, if you can imagine this, I, I want to bring a map. I really, really did, but I was like, nah, this ain't doing work right now. But <laughs> so where my hand is, this is Jerusalem, okay? Now, right above Jerusalem is Bethel, okay? And then way at the top is Dan, okay? Dan and Bethel, King Jeroboam said, yeah, you know what? They ain't, they ain't, I'm not losing any money because they're going to go and worship in Jerusalem. They're going to worship here. So I'm building two idols, I'm going to put one in Bethel, and I'm going to put one in Dan, one for the people at the top, and I'm going to burn one so they can see me in Jerusalem. Then I shot. This like, uh, I was, I think it was like 20 miles, so you could see the smoke rising from Bethel. It wasn't that far away. So if you're in Jerusalem and you look to the, to the north, there's smoke coming up, you know there's sacrifices. Right in the face of God, Jeroboam said, yeah, I don't care. I'm getting this money. Give me my money today and go worship the gods that I told you that brought you out of Egypt. So this is a great sin, great sin, because God has always referred to himself as a God who brought you out of land of Egypt because he brought them out of slavery and death, right? 
So what we have now is we're at an impasse. What Jeroboam is saying that these two idols are the gods that brought them out of Egypt. Just setting up the premise, okay? Then there enters a certain prophet from Judah, okay? This certain prophet goes into Bethel, where the altar is. He looks the king in the face and curses the altar. The altar breaks down before him. His hand stretched out like Jared, King Jeroboam told him to get that man. When he stretched his hand out, his hand withered. His hand shriveled up. The power of the Lord, power of the Lord was on this man. King Jeroboam recorded his hand, and he's like, I need some favor now, so uh, can you please tell the Lord to heal my hand? You know, for the most, the Lord healed his hand. And afterwards, King Jeroboam said, hey, come and eat with me. Trying to get him to bribe him, trying, trying to bribe this prophet. Come and eat with me. Remember what I told you about eating, okay? All right. So he's like, no, I'm not going to eat with you. Actually, he goes as far as to say, this is the scripture. Give me a second. Yeah. So in 1 Kings 13, if you are, excuse me, if you are there, he says, I could not go with you and eat and drink in this place, for God gave me strict orders. Do not eat or drink. Do not eat or drink there, and do not go home the way you came. So that prophet left. He did what he man, like pat on the back. He did what he was supposed to do. Then an old prophet from Bethel pops up. His son hears about, the, um, the old prophet's son hears about this man of God and the power of God on this man. And he's like, yo, Pop, this dude is a G. Um, You've been doing trash prophecies for about like 20 years. You might want to go and holler at this dude. So he gets in his, on his, his carry. He's like, I'm going to go up and talk to this guy. Hey, he meets him and he's talking to him. They're having a good conversation. He's like, all right, so um, can you come and eat with me? And the prophet, once again, says exactly what the Lord told him. Hey, I cannot, the Lord told me that I cannot, I could not go with you or eat and drink in this place. And he told me to not go in a way, like not to, to go back in another way than I came. And this prophet um, prophesied. Um, he said, I too am a prophet. Yeah, I got prophecy too, man. An angel told me, angels, told me the Lord's, uh, by the Lord's authority, bring him back. The Lord said, do like, to not return in the way that you came. He's saying bring him back. It's error number one. So bring him back with you to your house. And this is him like saying the Lord said this. So that he may eat and drink. What did the Lord tell him not to do? Eat and drink. And the scripture say, but he was lying. Like I said, he was prophet lying. And a prophet went back. This is the, the prophet, the, the, the prophet of Judah, went back with him and ate and drank at his house. Now, so he's sitting at the table. The old prophet that has, has been prophesying for a long time finally gets a word from the Lord. But guess what? 
It's against the prophet of Judah. You are a dead man. You have mocked the words of the Lord. You will not be buried with your ancestors, which is a great deal. You will be killed. The man left, and he died. A lion mauled him before he could even get home. Is God, is God harsh? I mean, just, I had, to, I had to deal with that. Is God being harsh here? I mean, this is a, this is a tough scripture. You know, like, we're, we're dealing with life and death here. Like I had to think about this. Two kingdoms were pretty much just separated. The only person with a standard in the kingdom is the prophet. If the prophet refuses to speak the word of the Lord, who in the world will? So by his actions, he said to the Lord, this old prophet's authority is greater than yours. And he died for that. My question to you is this. What do your actions say about your God? I had to deal with that. Like, what does it say about your God? Like, what, what, what do you, when you go out and you meet people and you have this task that the Lord has given you and you refuse to do it, what does that say about your God? Be careful that your witness lines up with what you are called to do. And do not believe in words that contradict the word of the Lord. And it's the word that he has spoken over your life. That's the one that matters. There are consequences, which is very rare in this generation. Nobody believes in consequences. Think you can do what we want. No responsibility. But there are consequences the consequences for what you choose to do. We must stay on task. And an extra added bonus, especially for this generation, be leery of the fresh word folk. I got a fresh word from the Lord. Is it in scripture? Can you back it up? Can you find it for me? Will scripture interpret scripture in your stance? The old prophet spoke exactly against what God had actually said in verbatim. God said, do not eat and go and do not go the same way. The old prophet said, come and eat and come here and, and go back. We have to be careful. Why should we be sitting at a table that allows the broken or the sinner a seat anyway? Like, why should we even be doing that? It's easy to justify being comfortable. Easy. It's easy to justify when you feel uncomfortable. We got laws against that now. I feel uncomfortable. I can call it a law. It's being serious. It happens a lot. It's not easy going beyond your comfort but we are told to do so. 
In Matthew 5, 43 through 46, Jesus says that we should not only love our neighbors, but our enemies as well. He concludes with this fiery statement, which would have really angered anybody that heard it at this time. We've already talked about the sinners. We've already talked about the tax collectors. I forgot the Gentiles. Um, Gentiles were just seen as heathens. Like, don't even talk to them. Don't look at them. They don't deserve anything the Lord has to offer. This is what Jesus said to them. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do the same, don't they? And if you only greet your brothers, what more do you do? Even the Gentiles do the same, don't they? So then be perfect as a heavenly father is perfect, which is actually a throwback to be holy, for I am holy. By comparing the actions of the Gentiles and the tax collectors to Jews, it was a driving home, it was driving home a far greater message, which brings to my second point. Be willing to serve whoever sits with you. So here's another example. Luke 7, 36 through 50. We ain't going to read all this. Like I said, I'm doing T.C. paraphrases, okay, so we can get the message, okay? Now, Jesus was at a Pharisee's house, okay? The Pharisee's friends were there. They were all eating and reclining. So when they ate in, in the uh, olden day, the tables were low. They were probably this low, right? So you couldn't really sit at them. You had to recline. So they, like, laid. They laid on the ground and would pretty much be in the, in the chill mode, you know, right in front of the, their heads directed at the, at, the, at the table and their feet completely away. Now, Jesus is sitting there like that with everybody, and um, this lady comes in with an alabaster on jar. I know y'all heard about this, right? You don't know how much the thing costs. So it was worth 300 denarii in the, um, in the Grecian world. That's 300 days of wages. That's 10 months of what you earn in a year. This jar is made of that. So I, I'm, like, I'm a mathematician, so I said, Lord, let me, let me figure this out. Let me get a number real quick. $55,000. Or a jar. I was like, Lord, but the world, this, this oil must be, yeah. So she breaks it and pours it on the feet of Jesus and anoints his feet. First, she actually, with her tears, she washes his feet. With her hair, she wipes his feet. She pours the oil on his feet. The Pharisee is looking at her like, this, this lady is a blatantly a sinner. Why in the world are you allowing her to do this to you? Jesus says something that once again struck me. He said to the Pharisee, therefore I tell you her sins, which were many, are forgiven, and she loves much. But the one who is forgiven of little loves a little. Check your love. Check your love for the Lord. Jesus reminds us why we must be ready to leave room for others. Those who we know have sinned or sinned much should not be disqualified from our presence entirely. 
We must use wisdom in how we can draw them because the one who sees the forgiveness of sins and the removal of shame that Jesus provides will in turn for forgiveness love much as they have been forgiven. Testimony time. Trevor A. Stevens, born June 26, 1984, in Lexington Medical. Is my correct, Ma? Okay, cool. All right. Lexington Medical Hospital at 131 after um, Young and the Restless. Thank you, Mama. All right. <laughs> Want to throw that in there for y'all. So, all right. And this is a true story. I'm not, I'm not making any of this stuff up, okay? So... I wasn't raised in a church. Um, mama, if you don't mind me being candid, people were rude to my mama. Church people were rude to my mama. We didn't go to church with them people. Why? You could get that in the street. She raised me the best she could. Thank the Lord for Pat over there, too, for loving me. I appreciate you. They did the best they could, but I had hate, rage, lots of it. Matter of fact, I had a backlog of people on my list, lots of people. I hurt good people. I hurt bad people. I hurt myself. I used to burn myself put myself beside the, the heaters on purpose. They thought it was accidental. It's on purpose. I had a lot of hate. Hated God. Staunch atheist. Searched the scriptures. Didn't see anything. Lots of hate. I hated this pulpit. I hated the pastor. I hated the minister. I hated everybody even tried to even try and do this. Lots of hate. As a matter of fact, I think there's a scripture <laughs> that, um, that summed me up. <laughs> it's in Proverbs 4.16. It says, for they, meaning the wicked, cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. Okay? They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. Trevor A. Stevens. I left for college. I was confronted by the gospel. I didn't get there easily, though. I thank the Lord for T.O.P. <laughs> I really, really do. We came here. Me and Mitchell, this is my roommate. We came here. I didn't come here because I want to hear where the Lord. I came here for food. <laughs> you know? came here for the scrub I was like, hey, you know, hey, I'm just being real, man. God bless Mr. and Mrs. Minor, man. I mean, I love y'all. I love you. Man, opened and made some good fried fish. She made some collard greens. I was like, you know what? If they're going to keep putting this out, let me figure this out. You know, get me a plate at least. Let me figure this out. We, um, one of my first days here, Brother Bowell, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, brother. Um, brother Bowell tried to hug me. I joke with him about this all the time. Tried to hug me, and I was like, man, no, I don't know. that's gay stuff, man. Dudes don't hug, bro. Get off me. 
You know, I was like, like, don't even touch me, man. What were you doing with that? But he didn't, he didn't just leave me alone. He still greeted me every time I showed up. You know, my bastard made sure I had my shirt and stuff tucked in <laughs> before I was saved. She's like, son, you don't supposed to look like that. And <laughs> But it kept me coming. You know, I went to Bible study. You know, Delmar Minor. Delmar Minor. That's my boy. Delmar and Mitchell, they go to Bible study. They're like, Trevor, just come on, man. And we go to Bible study. I was disengaged. I still went. Still went. Still a staunch atheist. I'm like, cares, man. Food at. You know, so. I came here. It was in December of 2002. After five months of being an insomniac because I could not sleep because of what the Lord was dealing with me about, I couldn't even sleep. And this man, Bishop Alfred Jackson, ate my breakfast, as they would say. I was sitting in the fourth row with Mitchell. You remember Elder? And he laid a prophecy on me. And I was like, there's no way. It's either he paid somebody, he called my moms, he paid somebody. Something happened in, here in this exchange. I didn't see this. And then at the end of it, he said, choose, I see you, son. He said, choose light. I cried for a full day, didn't eat. I didn't sleep. And I was like, Lord, why me? I got nothing to offer you. Why in the world are you choosing me? I was baptized in March of 2003 in the presence of 10 people. The reason I tell you this is because you didn't exclude me from your table. Get me? You didn't throw me away. You should have. <laughs> I was crazy. The kids ran from me. You know, it was Ashley Suto and Ebony and them. They were like, mm, be gone. This dude crazy. I'm just smelling off of him. You know, like, but, but you refused to throw me away. And I'm not bragging. But look at me. I hated this pulpit. I hated ministers and elders. And now I'm up here. doing this. <laughs> the Lord is good. You know? <laughs> Woo, Lord have mercy. Ratchet or bougie? Bougie, okay? Ratchet or bougie? Rich or poor? Get them at your table. Okay? Bishop told me something. I had to put this in the sermon. I was like, I got to put this in there. If we miss the opportunity to serve those that are seated with us, we may miss the move of God in our lives. The assignment to serve may even save your life. So be willing to serve those that sit with you. That's my last one. What was Jesus saying that brought the outcast to him? Jesus was charismatic and engaging. He gave the people who were voiceless and ignored hope and reassurance. The crowds kept getting bigger. Luke 14 to Luke 5, 2. You, you get to see 
the crowds of sinners and tax collectors continue to get bigger. We see an increase in the people who are following the message of salvation. And Jesus sat at the tables and ate with them, but was never overcome by the influence of their lifestyle. Here's my third point and final one. You must command the room. You must command the room. You cannot assimilate. That's bad for your soul and theirs. The danger of sitting with sinners is that if you are not strong enough, you may fall into the same habits. So while you are in a place you are in, be sure that wisdom tames your zeal for service. Proverbs 19.2 says, It is dangerous to have zeal without knowledge, and the one who acts hastily makes poor choices. In a way, the Pharisees were steering clear of sinners as it was taught to them in the Old Testament. In a part, they were right the way that they thought about this. They were like, we can't associate ourselves with these people. We don't want to say that we agree with anything that they're doing. But they missed what Jesus was doing. While they were scandalizing his name, they didn't know they were affirming his mission. What did they say? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Why, yes. Yes, he does. Right? They didn't understand that Jesus was the one source and the only source to save, heal, and restore sinners. So rather than the influence of sinners that drew Jesus to the table, it was Jesus' presence that was drawing them to the table. 15.1 said, look at Luke 15.1. It says the tax, tax collectors and sinners were coming to him. Not the other way around. They were coming to him. So how does this apply to you? Simple. How many people in here have a family? Raise your hand. Right? How many people in here have a job? Goes to college or school? Right? How many people in here have skills and talents? Well, look at that. You guys are given the opportunity to command a room. Do you think you have nothing to offer? This has been, this has been bothering me for years. Not, not tabernacle praise, but just in general. Do you think that you don't have anything to offer? Did you hear my testimony? I got saved through food, smiles, and greetings. Nobody came to beat me up with scripture. There was no scholar around to say, boy, you're wrong, and you're an atheist, you're going to hell. Nobody was doing that to me. They didn't do that to me. Smiles, food. We can't do that. Trust me, preaching is not the only skill a Christian can have. Nor is being, this is, this is why I say you preach the part. <laughs> Nor is being a minister, an elder, pastor, bishop, prophet, apostle, etc. Why do you think the Lord chose you right where you are? Remember, Paul was a Pharisee that persecuted Christians and a leather worker. Peter was a fisherman. Sister Lydia, she was a merchant, and she was rich. 
Along the way, the gospel touched centurions, jail guards, scholars, royal servants, servants of a state, physicians, etc. You have been called out of darkness right where you are as a light that cannot be ignored. Your presence already commands the room by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why do you think Jesus told us we are salt and light? Salt was used to purify what it was, what it was placed on. It was also used as preservative back in the day. Used like that now too, but more back in the day. We didn't have, anti, didn't have antibacterial. As salt, we must purify the world by being an example of righteous living and a living witness of the gospel. And as light, we are placed in dark places to guide others to the glory of Jesus. Here's a kicker. If salt becomes worthless, it is sprinkled on the ground to kill vegetation. You ever heard the term salt the earth? Nothing will grow where it is thrown. If you become bad salt, you're tossed out. And you kill everything around you. If light is hidden, how will those who followed its shine find the right path in the dark? They will stumble as the righteous hide their light. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to be willing to command a room. You are carrying God's works, God's good works, for his glory and for your good. You don't need to follow the sinner to be relatable. Hiding the light God has placed in you, trying to assimilate, like I said earlier. You can be in the culture and not be taken by it. And whether you like it or not, because you are packing light, all eyes are on you anyway. The Spirit of God gives you a nice shine even to those that may hate you. Remember, the Pharisees followed Jesus. And they didn't like him. They hated him. But they still had their eyes fixated on him. There are people looking at you and watching you right now, waiting to see what your actions will be. You have to be careful. They're looking to see if you'll set a godly example. An example in wisdom. Rather than a person that is swayed by the emotions with every single wind of doctrine. There's, an old, there's a quote I heard that says, there's so many revolutionaries, but not enough revolutions. So many people crying out, I'm a revolutionary, I'm a revolutionary, I'm, I done changed the world. I don't see it, I don't see it. I don't see it. What happened? Where are all the revolutions? With all these revolutionaries? If we are not careful... We will become the excuse for a willing sinner to continue to sin. Remember, wherever you are, as God's salt to add flavor and, purify, and to purify, and God's light to make, way, make the way clear and straight, you are being seen and known by both sinner and saved. Make sure to surrender to God so that you may serve him, bringing glory to Jesus wherever you are. 1 Peter 4.11 says, if anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides. So that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ and everything. And this is my closing. Being seated yet serving is my commitment to Jesus. 
I encourage you, do not undervalue the gift God has put in you. Work at it. Don't be ashamed. Even if it's small or large, it doesn't matter. Work at it. And you can serve where you are placed and where you will be placed. And God will empower you to stay on task, to serve those that sit with you, and to command the room in a way that brings honor to God and allows you to steward your cultural area well. God bless you.